from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today, we're going to talk about hospitality marketing. First, though, remember, please download the Shark Bite Biz app in the Google Play Store. Yes, sorry, Android devices only right now. We'll have Apple soon for season five, though. And in that app, you can find every single episode of the show. That means all the audio, every video, all the video clips, everything is right there in the app. Plus, you can buy our fabulous coffee bread right there in the app. All you got to do is just hit that little menu button, tap on coffee store, and you can get Dead House Coffee right there in the Shark Bite Biz app. But if you don't want to go through the app, you can always support us by going directly to deadhousecoffee.com. Make sure you use the code SHARK. You'll get 20% off your order. We'll get all the proceeds to continue helping build the biggest and best show we possibly can. Back to today's show. Being a successful leader means one thing, really. I mean, you have to learn how to fail, and you have to learn from those failures. We're going to chat to an entrepreneur, an amazing small business owner, a previous small business owner, uh, that really failed horribly at owning a bar, and he'll tell us about that, and, and basically found his future as the chief marketing officer in the hospitality marketing space. So, who do we have today? None other than David Revciancio. David Revciancio has prior experience as the chief marketing officer for a SaaS company and has transitioned into a hospitality marketing consultant, helping both restaurants and tech companies with demand gen and customer retention. As a former New York City bar owner himself, Rev knows exactly how hard it is to operate and brand a hospitality business. With more than 20 years experience in B2B digital marketing and business development, he works with SaaS founders, CEOs, restaurants, brands, and consumers in the hospitality, marketing, and technology world. So hey, without further delay, let's bring Rev right on in here this strategy rev welcome to shark bite biz you my friend you just became shark bait i have definitely been called worse things but i'm grateful to be here so thank you oh no i'm great uh, i'm very grateful you're here because you're a foodie you're in the food industry and i love food i that's one of my biggest things i think I missed moving from LA to Philly was in LA. I could throw a, you know, a dart at the globe, wherever it lands within 20, let's say 20 miles max. I got a restaurant from that country. Not really that experience here in Philadelphia. It's mostly just straight up Italian food and Chinese food. But that, that has been one of that and the music scene have been the two hardest things for me moving coast to coast. But we're so grateful for having you on here. And I've got to ask you, very first question, it's been a tradition since our, our very uh, first episode, is 
What's your experience? What's your background? What do you do? How did you get where you're at? Basically, tell us in a nutshell, okay? What makes Rev? Rev. That is probably longer than we have time for, but I basically failed at a lot of things. I failed at a lot of things and ended up as a hospitality marketing consultant. What was the uh, biggest so thing you failed at? Owning a bar. Okay. Okay. There you go. So you owning owned a bar. a bar, but you landed in the hospitality marketing area. Yes. The story, I'll give you the briefest version of the story. So I graduated. I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a radio DJ. Uh, in college, I got that job and within about three weeks realized it was the worst job I'd ever had. Uh, and then I wanted to move to New York City to be in the music business. And I moved here when I graduated college to go do radio promotions. Uh, quickly, me and a couple of friends started our own agency. I did that for a couple of years and then woke up one day and I was like, oh, my God, I hate musicians. Uh, I want out of this business immediately. Uh, and I, I, I closed my agency in New York City. And at the time, me and some friends had bought a, bought a bar. Uh, which was a lifelong dream of mine. And e even though we failed horribly at operators and still six years after that bar's closed, I still owe debt on it. In fact, I got a reminder last night that I owe debt. Are you still friends with the people you own that bar with? Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. Okay. Because sometimes that goes down bad. You know, that's what I thought I'd ask. It depends on which person you're asking about. Anyway, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. Uh, however, it created one of the, probably the most intense uh, life lessons I have ever had, which is typical for these types of stories. Uh, but when we, when we lost the bar and still, like I said, I still a little dead on it. Um, I sort of realized like people called me like, Oh my God, how did you guys close? Like you were on the best, you know, every best of list and you had a 4.5 rating on, on Yelp and like thousands of people on your email list. And every time we went, there was an amazing time. And like, yeah, on paper, but we were horrible operators. And, I, and other restaurants and bars started calling me and being like, oh, how did you, you know, how did you get so many five-star reviews? How did you grow an email list? How did you get high on Google search? And I was like, oh my God, I have a skill set. My skill set is hospitality marketing. And that's a skill set that even in 2022 is kind of missing from the restaurant business. Like they're operators, they're not marketers. Uh, and that, that sort of realization was like, oh, I'm actually really good at this. I'm just bad at operations and I went headfirst uh, and I've been in the hospitality, you know, marketing business since. Uh, and at the end of 2021, I actually opened a hamburger shop here in New York City. So I'm, that's I'm awesome. Well, congratulations again. with that. Um, a couple things there. I, I swear this is crazy that the email list now, you, I don't know if you believe me or not, but seriously, out of our last maybe 40 interviews, I would say 30 people have brought up email list and to me i believe it i totally believe it because i have all the business owners all these experts saying about it still being the top way to reach customers it just i don't know like to me it, it it's a tough pill to swallow just because we're in 2022, there's TikTok, there's Facebook, there's there's Meta, whatever you want to call them. There's Google, there's Yelp, there's all these other things out there. But yet, the oldest technology of them all being email and email list is still the most successful. I mean, doesn't that kind of blow your mind a little bit? I mean, let me put it to you this way. I have my own podcast we discussed offline before we started here today where I interview um, really high-level executives at large multi-unit restaurant brands, and I ask them one question. 
how do you successfully market at the local level? Like, look, sure, you know, can you take out a Super Bowl ad? You could, but how does that help your store in Reseda? You know what I mean? So like, I, I want to know, like, how do you help the individual store? Anyway, long story short, I asked them all, what's your top channel for acquisition? What's your top channel for retention? I, I'm telling you 10 out of 10 times, the number one answer I get from people that have hundreds of locations of restaurants and how they affect retention is email. It's the number one answer. It's everybody's answer. And it's not because everybody has the same playbook. It's because it works. You know what I mean? It's like TikTok is great. You know, Instagram is great. I have 700,000 followers on Instagram. It's great. I love it. But I don't own a single one of them. And I actually logged off of Instagram yesterday and said, I'm out of here for a while because I posted something that got less than 100 likes. Now, I don't likes are really not the way to measure performance of content, right? Calls to action are. But still, I have 101,000 followers and only 48 of them liked it. <clears throat> Meanwhile, it's a video of an unbelievable amount of barbecue. Like it's exactly what does well there. So my point being like, I also sent out an email this morning promoting my, my new ebook and more people clicked on that email than saw that video on Instagram. So like, yeah, why wouldn't I prioritize email? I can put my message where your eyeballs are. We go through the same thing with this podcast like for example we have some clips that are i mean they're just outright amazing and look our show's targeted towards busy people young executives executives small business owners business professionals marketing people people like that that just don't have all the time in the world. They usually have limited time, limited attention span that they can dedicate. And the clips, we call them shark bites, appropriately named. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they rack up some decent views. Now, you just don't see it on YouTube. I do post those to LinkedIn directly or Facebook directly or Twitter directly as well, too. Uh, but you know, I'm looking at it's like, okay, on Twitter, I got 5,000 followers. Okay. Why the heck is this video only getting like nine views? I mean, it's an incredible piece of information that when, and the same thing will happen on Facebook. Now, if I throw some ad money around it to get some targeted eyeballs to get the exposure, then it's like all of a sudden, oh, wow, we're getting likes, we're getting comments, we're getting shares, and we're getting a, a crap ton of views. And I think that's what the bias is. They're, they're limiting your audience, even though you've earned that many followers, they're limiting how many people that could do it because they're trying to milk every dollar they can out of you. And I think that's where email has the total benefit then because you're guaranteed they're going to receive your content. Now, whether they actually open it and read it is another discussion, okay? But you're guaranteed that they're going to receive it if you have a good email list. Well, you're guaranteed to get it to their inbox. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You're guaranteed. You're not guaranteed that they're going to read it, but you're guaranteed it. that it's going to get to their inbox. Whereas with Facebook, unless you pay for ads or with any of the other social media platforms, I mean, even with that, I mean, you might not even get it to all your followers. I was going to say, so I have a number of, I have two types of clients, right? I run a hospitality marketing consulting business. I have two types of clients. Some of my clients are restaurants and I help them with their acquisition and retention marketing. 
And some of my clients are solutions providers that sell to restaurants. So like technology distributor software, right? In the last three weeks, I've actually told every single one of my solutions provider clients to stop advertising. Stop advertising. No, on, on social media. I, I, am, I am not confident in 2022 that lead gen for a B2B organization can be done effectively, and that includes the budget, on social media. I don't. Uh, I've, yet, I've yet to see it produce for any one of my clients. And these are smart people with good budgets who do hard work and have great content. I think, I think social media has dug itself into a hole uh, and that the revenue is more important than the deliverability. And so like, like I said, I logged out on my own Instagram account yesterday and said, F you for a minute. I spent $800 in advertising in January. I realized that's an infinitesimally small budget compared to what other people are spending, but like it was big to me, okay? And I drove two conversions out of it for a free item. I spent $400 CPL. That's insane. Why would I continue to why would I continue to do that? No, that's that's totally insane. Now the pivot topics a little bit. Something else that you mentioned was the operational side of things. And I think this is really where you and I can uh um you know spar a little bit, uh, but in a good way, because I think you're going to find that we probably have a lot of the same thoughts and approaches on this. Operationally, you look at people in the hospitality industry, I would say more look, let's look specifically at the food industry. A lot of those people are probably more of what I would consider the creative type people. Would you agree with that? Uh, now, when you say food, I'm assuming you mean hospitality, not packaged goods, correct? Right, right. So like a restaurant, stuff like that, people that are designing menus or concepts or theme type bars or whatever it may be. A lot of those people, I find um, that they're more of the creative type individual, and that's why they're creating these, this experience, this menu, this type of stuff. You know, they've got that artistic type of value in them that's kind of dominant. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I don't, you know, I think there's a shade of degree between um, artistic and entrepreneurial. Right. But I think they come, I think they come from a similar side of the brain. And I do find that there's a lot of people in the hospitality service industry that are either and or both artistic and entrepreneurial. But what I found out is that those people that are the artistic, creative, entrepreneurial type, they're the ones that most specifically lack the organizational skills as far as operations go. They're the ones that really struggle with getting a business to run profitable. They have an awesome idea. They may have an awesome menu, but how does it work behind the scenes? You know, our food delivery is coming in on time. Are you well stocked? Are you prepared? You know, do you have all those things lined up? And that's where they're missing the check mark, uh, the check mark boxes. It sounds like that's like, even with their own personal story, 
that that may be some of the areas that you struggled with on the 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 business management side of things. Yeah, well, I always like. I mean, look in the food service business, it's operational. It's operational driven, and that's why they they call them restaurant operators because it's an operation. And and where you really get success is when service, which is a function of operation, right, uh, matches uh, experience. Like when your service and your experience match and exceed expectations, where you have a win, right? So, so you do have you do for a restaurant to really be successful, their operations have to be super tight, super tight, and then and then the deliverability is the food and the experience, right? Operations is what makes it happen. That's the other piece. And then I always like to joke that um, where the restaurant victory really happens is when marketing and operations have a handshake, and it's called markerations. <laughs> marketing, mar- marketing likes to write checks that operations has to cash. Hey, we have this great idea. We're going to do like March Madness, and we're going to pit this dish against that dish, and we can do this, and blah, blah, blah. Like, yo, man, the kitchen's still got to make that happen. So margarations right right and it sounds close enough to margaritas that i'm totally bought in (laughs) so so, you know one of the things that you also do is that you have a SaaS company that i imagine helps those businesses on the operational side how has the SaaS business i mean what does it do explain to us what the SaaS company is so I, I so I don't own a SaaS company. I'm not part of a SaaS company. But what we do, we are related to SaaS. So I'm a part of an org. I'm gonna. It's, it's complicated. Even my wife doesn't get it. I mean, she's amazingly genius. <laughs> uh, so Brandon Strategic Hospitality is an. We are an investment firm. So we take we take venture capital or funding and give it to early stage startup hospitality tech companies who are growing. Um. And, and essentially, they use that money for whatever, you know, whatever the, if they need to invest in. But we, we typically are only early stage investors. Uh, and we're very, we invest in companies that are very operational friendly. Like they're, they're either owned by somebody who was in the restaurant business or somebody who has close relation because we want to invest in tech that actually helps operators to go faster. So that, that's what the firm does. My, my piece of the business, I run the acceleration piece. So you know, my investors who are in the next room over here, the investor team, Jimmy and Shatsy, they will get capital and give it to a uh, early stage startup SaaS company. And then when they want their sales to go faster, they call me and I help them with demand generation and content marketing and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. So how are you then doing the demand generation for tech companies, I mean, because I assume you're not using the same email list that you're using for the restaurants, right? Uh, I mean, I'm, I have a fortunate position, right? I have two sort of backgrounds. Like I said, I used to be an operator, so I know what it's like to run a restaurant. Uh, and when I left that restaurant, I realized I had the skill set to go help restaurants with their marketing. I went into SaaS. I've been, I've been doing marketing for software companies for years. You know, my last job, I was the chief marketing officer for a, a, a SaaS company that helped restaurants manage their menus online. So I have the experience of running a restaurant and owning a restaurant, and I have the experience of selling software. So I have, I have the mindset for both. So it's easy for me to help somebody who sells software to a restaurant because I know exactly how the restaurant thinks and operates, right? And it's, and it's easy for me to help a restaurant with marketing because I have a deep understanding of the tools and their capabilities, 
And because I have these ties to, with branded, we sort of have best in class tools here. So I also, I'm also tied at the tool level to know what are the best practices for that tool. And I can then go to the restaurant and be like, listen, you need this tool and here's how to use it more effectively than anybody else. Okay. Okay. That makes a little bit more sense because you know, I'm looking at the intro, your bio here that I got for you. And very first sentence is that you're the chief marketing officer for a SaaS company. And then I got kind of thrown off there a little bit with your answer. But I think it all makes sense to me now how exactly, you know, you're working, you're operating. And for me personally, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but my day job, what I do is SaaS software itself. I'm more with ERP or the accounting solutions for small businesses and that type of stuff. So what I've learned throughout this is that, you know, helping businesses being able to do things like MRP, you know, to predict when they need material supplies, stuff like that, the automating their business processes. It really takes a lot of that burden off the businesses of having to try to, you know, having someone fill out a mundane spreadsheet or try to figure out something with pen and paper. And it just automates all that stuff, allowing them to do activities that instead will be profit driving activities, uh, which benefits the business a lot more. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> you see, told you we'd agree. Now, <laughs> jumping back into the marketing, the okay, segment of it, there's two parts of marketing that I want you to dig a little bit deeper in for us. The first one is content marketing. And then the second one, I kind of got a feel of how you're going to answer this based of what off what you just said with Instagram, but the influencer marketing. Can you give us some details around both of those two different segments? Uh, for for restaurants or for technology or just in general? I'd say in, in general, in general with both sides of the business that you handle, you know, give us high level scoop on both of them if you could. Well, I mean, look, I think sales for any business is hard. I don't care if you sell, you know, paper, tacos, software or Teslas, right? It's still new, new guests or new customer acquisition is hard. And we all have the internet, every one of us, and every one of us uses it. And even if, if you were to call me and be like, Rev, I had the most amazing Italian dinner the other day. The chicken parm was divine. You know, the service was incredible. The wine list was impeccable. This, you know, ask for Salvatore's. Like, even if you give me the most glowing review ever, I still go to Google and look up what other people are saying. You know what I mean? And even Trust, if, verify, right? And the same thing with like software sales. So like if I call, you know, if, if I'm on the phone with a restaurant, I'd be like, listen, you got to use Ovation because it's the greatest, you know, customer feedback platform you can get and best text marketing, blah, 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 whatever. Okay. First of all, I'm an influencer. So that person trusts me, but they're going to go to Ovation's website and they're going to read a case study and they're going to go see on Captera what people are like. We are, it is built into us now 
that there is social proof available online. You know, you 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 just hit on a gold a gold mine right there. Okay, you just said you yourself when you're when you're pitching that product. Uh, I think you said it was Ovation, was it? Yes. Okay, if if you're telling them like, hey, go get Ovation, you're being an influencer right then and there to market that product. And I, I, I don't think many people think of themselves kind of in that degree. You know, when you hear the word influencer, you're thinking of somebody famous or some model or whatever it is pushing a product down somebody's throat. But in the days of personal branding and how everybody is kind of their own brand, I mean, you are actually doing influencer marketing yourself when you're pitching something to somebody else. Yeah, I like I like to joke when I talk to restaurants because we do have this warped perception that influencer means Kardashian. Right. Right. right? Like that's like a like, oh yeah, influence, like the Kardashians. Like, yeah, yeah. Or the, you know, the person in my town that has a hundred thousand followers that does whatever. Yeah. Okay, that's an influencer. But you know, from a restaurant's perspective, you know who else is influencer? The high school principal, right? The fire chief, the fire chief, the person that owns the nail salon next door. Anybody that has influence over other people's decision making process or the or the way in which they become aware of a product or service is an influencer, right? And so and so, like you know, my wife, right? She is not an influencer by the Kardashian stretch of the imagination. She has 1,500 1500 followers on Instagram. And if she talks about a pizza place that she likes, the other moms in our town who are friends with her will be like, ooh, we got to go check out that. She's an influencer, right? It is people who have have influence. And so from from a business perspective, I think you have to understand it doesn't matter if you're a pizza place or a software company, because you have to understand who are the people that have influence over a segment of the market you want to speak to and how can you connect with them in a meaningful way that they might want to recommend what you do to another person? Now, in the, in the retail world, it's easy. It's leave us a review on Google. Definitely, definitely. So I think we have time for about one more question here. And uh, I love this the moment that I saw it because as, as we talked earlier, you know, uh, we're both foodies. So drool-worthy food. What's your definition of drool-worthy food? Explain that to us. Uh, man, so, you know, look, I think we're all on social media. If you are scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or even TikTok and you stop because of something you saw that looks amazing and you want to eat it, that's drool-worthy food. And, you know, I, I wrote an article several years ago um, called Instagram Ruin the Bologna Sandwich, right? We all grew up eating bologna sandwich. Well, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us grew up eating like, you know, Fried bologna and mustard. Yeah. I grew up with like two slices of white bread with a piece of bologna in the middle. And I was happy. You know what I mean? And then the internet comes along and Instagram. And now like the bologna sandwich has got to have 10 stacks of bologna and cheese perfectly squared between each one and fried pickles and potato chips in it and blah, blah, blah. And like that, that like crave worthy, drool worthy, amazing looking, visually exciting, you know, your eyes eat first type of presentation has made it impossible for us to enjoy a bologna sandwich. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've talked about trying to get my kids like, Hey, why don't we get you a bologna sandwich? Something I used to eat when I was a kid. I mean, even just something simple like grilled cheese and tomato soup. And they're like, 
No, no, you know, like they're, they're, they're past that, you know, they, they'd rather have some kind of, uh, you know, chicken taco quesadilla or something like that. And it's just, uh, it's crazy how things have changed because of that social media construct that you're, you're, you're talking about there. So out of the whole world, what is your favorite cuisine? What's your go-to food? Oh man, I don't I don't know that I have one that is like such a difficult question. Um, in my bio, it does say that pizza is my religion, so we'll go with that because it is pizza. I'm a big pizza fan, fan but it would for me personally, I, I would say the Baja Med and also Peruvian. My wife's Peruvian, so you know I'm used to craving a lot of different Peruvian foods like ceviches and stuff like that. So. Um, but hey, Rev, this has been great. This has been a fun conversation. I think you gave us a great insight. You gave us a couple cool concepts for everybody to think about. I've got to ask you, I know you have a brand new book that's out that was just published today. How can people digitally stalk you online and where can they find your book? God bless. So the easiest way to find me is my name, which is not that easy, but it's Rev Ciancio. I am R-E-V-C-I-A-N-C-I-O on every platform, TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm Rev Ciancio. That's the easiest way to find me. Uh, you can also Google expert burger taster. I should be the top seven image results. Uh, and then I did... I did release a book today called TikTok for Restaurants, What You Need to Know. It is a base level strategy guide for restaurants who are trying to figure out what their TikTok strategy is, how to get started, and what kind of content works. It's a 20-page book that you can download, restaurantsgrow.com slash TikTok. That's awesome. Send me, send, me, send me a DM, send me an email. I answer everything. So Awesome. I will definitely creep into your DMs, especially when this episode's about to air. But <laughs> hey, Rev, thank you so much for coming on. It, it's been fun. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And definitely, we'd love to get you back some point next year. Awesome. Thank you very much. I'm super grateful. Hey, cheers. Wow, that was such an incredible interview with Rev, wasn't it? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it gave you the warm and fuzzies, please do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business, please share us out to your network, your friends, your colleagues, your family, anywhere you dwell on the interwebs, whether it's Minds, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Twitter. I mean, thinking about that with Elon Musk, holy cow, that's a game changer. What, 9.2% share, biggest shareholder. Uh, now he's a, on the board of directors. That's a crazy story right there. But anyways, share us out on Twitter. I would love to see nothing more than Rev out there trending with Shark Bite Biz. Now let's get back to our rock star guest of Mr. Dave Rev Ciancio. Uh, that was a real incredible story. And I love hearing people talk about this type of stuff. You know, I did feel a little bit bad in the beginning because I hit him right out of the gate there where he said that he had failures. And I kind of called him out like, OK, what was your biggest failure? And uh, he gave us an honest answer. And that was pretty cool and very humble of him because as humans, we don't always like to admit 
when we make mistakes. I mean, that's true with me. That's true with everybody. I've made mistakes. I make mistakes uh, often, ask my boss, but it's learning experiences. And until you've kind of been there and have gone through a situation, you don't always know how to do it. And you don't always do it right. And that's where, you know, I think with his failure, like he was saying about with him in the bar, you know, it's failures like that that really build character. It gave him the insight to know what he wasn't good at, but it also allowed him to discover some stuff that he is really good at, like helping the restaurant and hospitality business break through and actually build a brand to drive lead generation, to drive traffic through the door. You could tell just by talking with Dave that he has that passion, that it's something that he really loves and he craves. And he's, he, he seems to me like what he hears as a success story of him helping a company get more business, he gets goosebumps, just kind of like whenever me or one of my sales reps makes a sale, I get goosebumps to this day. Doesn't matter if it's a small rinky dinky sale or a big giant multi-million dollar sale. I get goosebumps, you know, and I think something important here that I wanted to kind of talk about that's on topic as well, too, is that even old school. okay, and I, I, I guess I'll say old school with quotes, but old school industries like food, food goes back, what, a couple millennia? I mean, people have been eating out or getting food from other places probably forever probably one of the first uh major industries that there there were outside of like uh basic trade and farming and stuff like that but even with the food industry you have to modernize you have to embrace tech at this point there is no way around it especially during this pandemic they, meaning the food, hospitality industry, really, really suffered. Most restaurants, you know, they're competing against ghost kitchens. I mean, look at Mr. Beast, okay? Mr. Beast Burger helps a lot of people, but they're essentially a ghost kitchen, just operating as a in another restaurant. So it's pretty crazy out there environment to where good food, amazing service alone these days are not going to get you the foot traffic because it goes back to the pandemic. We all kind of got really complacent and lazy and we just want to pick up our phones and order food through an app and bing, bang, boom, done, you know, and I've done that too. I've done it a lot, especially going through the back injury that we've had where we've cooked a little bit less and ordered out a little bit more, but I'll give you a great example. I found an amazing Indian food restaurant called Birani City in Norristown, Pennsylvania. It's right outside of Philadelphia for those that don't know the area. But because of their amazing use of technology to promote their product, to promote their brand, I found them. And I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not an Indian food aficionado, so I have no idea what a double cabmita was. But having professional pictures of it to where I could see with an accurate description, oh, okay, that's what this looks like. That's what this is. 
it gave me an idea of what to expect. Now, anybody can make a, a pretty stock photo. It's not that hard. Even amateurs can do that. But what I kind of felt that took it to the next level, and it's cool because you can see in like Uber Eats app and probably some of the other apps too. I mostly use Uber Eats um, because, you know, I get free credits with my Amex Platinum card. So <laughs> uh, they give this, I don't know, what is it, like 20 bucks a month or whatever. But anyways, uh, you know, I, I mostly use Uber Eats and it's kind of cool because you can see in the Uber Eats app that, that people post pictures of those actual plates, of those actual foods. Now, I didn't find this restaurant in Uber Eats. I actually searched Google like, hey, I want some Indian food. It's been a while since I've had Indian food. OK, um, what places around here would be good and. I started a search and that's where I was able to find not only beautiful pictures of the food prepared, but then I also found it from customers themselves that have ordered the same food, same plates, posting their images on things like Yelp and sites like that. And I got to tell you, seeing those non-stock photos of the food, it gave me those warm and fuzzies in what I was ordering. I had confidence. And I really felt like it was the real deal that it was going to be high quality, amazing food. And again, yeah, you know, it was going to be more expensive than if we order the pizza. But because of how they embrace their brand management, because of how they embrace technology to show people what their food looks like, to show people the quality, why it's worth that extra couple bucks. I really had the confidence before we made the order. It was like, okay, I'll drop this on the food. It looks good. And guess what? It was excellent. I think there may have been like one thing nobody liked, but it was because we didn't, you know, it wasn't our personal taste. It was still really high quality food. And, you know, I, I think going back to our amazing guest with Rev, you know, embracing technology and making it easier for customers to order your food, to get it to their door, especially when we're in this wishy-washy thing where some people don't want to go out as much because of the pandemic and stuff like that. Embracing technology really helps get the orders through. It pushes business through to your company and I felt like in my book, this this Indian restaurant, for example, they got a blue check mark. I mean, it, it was that simple. We've ordered ordered from them multiple times now just because of the amazing experience. And each time, perfectly packed, perfectly delivered, perfectly served, great portion sizes. And that is something that somebody like Rev is able to do with your food, with your restaurant, with your hospitality business, to be able to help you achieve that level of brand awareness, that level of success. So that when somebody is looking for something that is your niche, they're able to find you. You're able to give them the warm and fuzzies. So anyways, really awesome stuff, Rev. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and really helping make a difference in your industry because, like I said earlier, so many food and hospitality businesses have suffered and technology has evolved so much for them over the past two, three years. 
having an expert like you in there that's able to really save the day is incredible. Love it. Please make sure you check out his sites. We're going to have links down below in the description. Also, I, I'm sorry, I've got to do this, but I promised my daughter I've been getting asked every week this season to shout out her YouTube channel. So if you have any kids, if they like Roblox and stuff like that, please have them check out her channel. It is Love X Kira, okay? L U V X K I R A. It's a kids' channel. It's meant for kids. It's clean stuff. It's Roblox videos. Have your kids send them to it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Question of the day How was the last time you found a new place to eat? And uh, how about you give them a shout out down below in the comment section? Do you want to be in the show? Please shoot out an email, interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please don't forget to hit that little join button, okay? For $3 a month, you can become a baby shark and support the channel. Or you can head right on over to deadhousecoffee.com. Use code SHARK. You're going to get the freshest coffee known on earth delivered to your doorstep. And if you use code SHARK, You'll get 20% off of your order. We'll get all the proceeds to be able to help us continue growing this platform. I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.